Hello, welcome to another Symantec Executive Spotlight podcast. My name is Patrick Spencer, Director of our Customer Reference and Publishing Programs. I'm joined here with David Finn, the Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Texas Children's Hospital for the past four years. David has a team of 290 IT professionals, which includes 60 biomedical professionals who are hard at work at the art of pediatric IT. Texas Children's Hospital is an integrated delivery system that consists of the first pediatric health plan in the country, a primary care managed service with 44 physician practices that serve more than 1 million patients a year, the primary pediatric training site for the Baylor College of Medicine, and much more. Since its founding nearly 70 years ago, Texas Children's Hospital has garnered greater and greater recognition for delivering some of the highest quality pediatric care, education, and research in the world. David, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here talking with you. So you have a really interesting career, uh, an extremely lengthy uh, bio that uh, I've taken a look at. Uh, can you give us sort of a historical overview of uh, uh, how you landed at Children's and what you did before you uh, arrived there? <laughs> well, I, I like to think I have the most interesting uh, bio of any CIO, uh, but I'm not sure that's true. Uh, what you may not have seen in my bio is I actually started out in the theater. I have advanced degrees in arts administration and began as a uh, actor and director and playwright. Uh, but when I got into the real world, I wound up doing boring stuff like being the controller for a real estate company and went through the, the bust here in Houston, the real estate bust in the early 80s, and that sent me back to training in IT and programming. So I really uh, learned information technology from uh, the bottom up, if you will, uh, doing COBOL programming on punch cards. Uh, and from there wound up in kind of an experimental role uh, writing uh, university uh, systems, uh, registration, billing, accounting, collections, uh, but the, the job that really kind of set the stage for me, in my opinion, was after we got the, the system up and running, and it was a highly integrated system between records and registration, between the finance office, and between the, the registrar, so all the scheduling was tightly integrated with, with all those things. And after that was up and I was starting to get bored, uh, the internal audit department at the university called me and said, you We've put in this new system, and we don't have anyone who can audit it. And uh, because I had the controller background from real estate, uh, they thought I would be a good pick. I had enough technical knowledge, obviously, having written the system, but understood controls from a financial perspective. And so I wound up uh, moving into audit, and then over the next several years went from audit uh, to IT at uh, numerous companies. And I, I always joke that working in audit keeps you honest uh, for the real-world side of IT, but working in the IT world uh, always makes you realize that you'll probably never be perfect in terms of, of controlling and managing risk. Uh, so that is kind of the unique perspective, I think, that I bring to IT. It's, it's I don't look at it as a, as a technology. I look at it from a risk perspective. Well, and the connection between your financial background and your IT background is 
really interesting and the the need to uh, legitimate uh, IT projects based on return on investment and the, the potential business value is significant. I would think that you have tied those two together on numerous occasions in your career and particularly in your latest role. Absolutely, and and it's it's often hard when you're putting in systems or or utilities even like like security because sometimes the organization thinks of that as kind of an underpinning and they don't want to spend money on it. They they get that it has to be there. So developing a return on investment uh, for those kinds of things that are just expected to be there uh, is tricky. But I think the, the one thing I've learned is that uh, from an IT perspective, you can't make business decisions. You have to let the business make the decision. And that is making the presentation, selling uh, the product or the service, but but making getting the end users, getting the business owners to understand the value they really get because uh, ROI unlikely, but value you always have to add and you have to be able to help those users to help the business understand the value they're really getting from their from their expenditure. Well, using the right language for the business owners and bridging that gap between IT and and the business requirements, the, the business drivers, seems to be critical. Is that something that you do on a regular basis as you try to essentially serve as the conduit between your team and uh, and the business owners within Texas Children's? Well, I, I, I will say only slightly tongue-in-cheek that that's where all the acting and theatrical background comes in because I, I probably act more now on a daily basis than I did when I was uh, studying acting. But the, the point is uh, to become your, that character, to kind of become the business owner and understand technology from their perspective. And that then allows you to communicate to them in ways that, that you really can't if you're always coming at it from a technology perspective. So having worked on the finance side of the business, having worked in process redesign as a consultant, and, and having had to play many different roles, it, it has helped me uh, talk to the end users in the language that they not only understand, but they have to live and breathe every day. So tell us a little bit about your uh, career at, at Texas Children's, uh, uh, the initial assignment and how things have changed over the last few years. Many years ago, I, uh, I was at TCH uh, in the audit and compliance department. That was one of the the audit jobs I had, and and then had left the organization uh, to work in consulting, and and over a period of about seven years, uh, the whole concept of privacy and security was starting to catch on. I was witnessing the birth of of really the privacy industry uh, and the security industry from a technical perspective as a consultant, and. Uh, Actually, one of my clients at that time was Texas Children's, uh, and I was working with them on developing their plans and program around uh, HIPAA, which is the uh, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which addressed the issues of privacy and uh, security in healthcare. 
And over time, we put the program together. I worked with the then CFO and the then CIO at the organization. And when we had all the plans laid out, they said, uh, well, now that you've designed this, would you like to come back to work here and do it? It was kind of a unique opportunity. Uh, I had been on the road for seven years as a consultant, so I was anxious to sleep in my own bed a little bit more. But it also was really a unique opportunity to really start a privacy and security office uh, from day one as the industry was changing. And one of the things we got to do that, that I don't see very often is we got to link privacy and security up in a central, uh, in a central office uh, frequently, you see privacy falling to either compliance or in healthcare, it falls to medical records, and and security generally falls to the technical security people in IS. But we were very fortunate to be able to link them up uh, originally outside of the IS umbrella, and then later when I was moved into uh, the IT area, the information technology area, from audit and compliance. Uh, we were able to keep that synergy and, and keep the security and privacy tied together. Because you can't really have privacy unless you've got the security. And to, and to tie those together from an operational and enforcement perspective has been a, a really incredible synergy at, at Texas Children's. And you've been in the CIO role for several years now. Uh, I've moved over as an assistant vice president of uh, information services. Uh, and shortly thereafter became the vice president working for an interim CIO. And after about a, a year of that, uh, they, they took away his interim and gave me the CIO title. And that's been about four years now. So some of the major challenges you had when you took on that mantle, uh, what did those look like? Technology landscape has changed uh, significantly over the past couple years. Well, the, the technology landscape has changed, and, and I used to uh, have to fight with myself as the privacy and information security officer, and now instead of just being uh, schizophrenic, I have, I have multiple personalities because I have to put on my CIO hat and fight with both the privacy officer and the information security officer. <laughs> but te technology has, has helped uh, ease some of the pain in those fights for us, uh, we've had some major changes in security, uh, hardening our perimeter and adding a lot of the automation tools uh, from Symantec, uh, adding a lot of monitoring around our uh, policy and procedure. Uh, so that has made that easier, but we've also uh, greatly enhanced and are adding to the complexity of the network. Uh, and are implementing an enterprise-wide electronic medical record, which is not a trivial undertaking uh, at any time, but because we are more than a hospital, uh, we're an integrated delivery system, we have a primary care uh, managed service organization, uh, we have an insurance company under the Texas Children's Umbrella, and, and that complicates uh, not only operational perspectives and elements of of technology, but it certainly has complicated the privacy and security and making sure we're keeping arm's length between those practices. We're not intermingling uh, patients and, and their privacy is being respected, and that all those applications 
whether they're for the insurance uh, company, the health plan, or whether they're for our primary care docs or for the specialists and subspecialists at the hospital, making sure that, that they are seeing what they're supposed to see uh, but nothing more than they're supposed to see. So it, it has been a, uh, a, uh, an interesting change in, in technology and structure. Uh, we've changed a lot of our approach towards disaster recovery, moving from, an, from a remote hot site to uh, local high availability at, a distributed, at distributed data centers across the campus. And uh, all of this in a period of rapid growth, we're in the middle of a uh, $1.5 billion expansion program. So we're adding hospitals, we're adding research facilities, we're expanding our, uh, our reach into the community, and uh, all that uh, on the back of, of new technologies and expanding technologies. Well, these are huge initiatives that require significant budget. How have you approached uh, your business executives when you've you've sold them on all the uh, underlying technology acquisitions? <laughs> I approach them most frequently now with hat in hand uh, and and a sign that says uh, "We'll work for money." But uh, the organization has has really been generous, and and I think that's because they understand that nowadays. Systems are their processes. There, there was a time, I know when I started out writing COBOL uh, billing programs, you could separate your processes from the system, and you went back and rekeyed later, you ran everything through as a batch. But in, in 2008, uh, particularly in healthcare, but probably in any industry, people don't want to wait. They want to be taken care of uh, then and there, so everything has to be real time. And so getting the business to understand uh, what they can get for their investment and what it means not only to them operationally, but really in terms of patient care uh, and, and patient satisfaction have made the difference for us. And, in, you know, again, if you come back and talk in terms that they understand in ways that they have to live and breathe every day, they have been pretty understanding of the of the financial needs of of implementing and growing technology to meet their requirements. When it takes technology vendors who understand those business requirements, uh, how do you go about identifying uh, you know your top tier uh, providers and then uh, collaborating with them to uh, to build these type of solutions that are multi-year initiatives almost. I, I am fond of uh, telling uh, my my direct reports and, and some of our key key strategic technology partners. We have a lot of technology vendors at Texas Children's, but what we are really looking for is partners. Uh, there's a lot of solutions out in the marketplace and those solutions probably work in a lot of cases, but uh, in, in a business that's as dynamic as technology and healthcare coupled together, uh, someone else's solution probably is not gonna meet our particular needs. Uh, for instance, we're, we're not adult care. Most of the world is adult care. And so we have to be very careful when we're buying clinical systems that it meets the, the very special needs of pediatric uh, an acute and intensive care pediatric 
um, patient care. And, and we treat really all of our technology uh, that same way. The solution that might work uh, for a, another business down the street or, or maybe even for another uh, adult care hospital, a community hospital, really isn't going to meet the needs of an academic uh, medical center that is pediatric-focused, soon to be focused on maternity care. So we look for partners who have the wherewithal and the, uh, and the desire to find solutions and work with us to find solutions that will work and meet our needs, not just serve any hospital who needs to put in a, a antivirus or a monitoring system. It has to work to meet our needs, and that's, that's where semantic has really been, a, uh, has created differentiation for us. Well, and on that note, you've strategically leveraged services from Symantec, HP, and some of your other vendors. What's your thought process behind when to engage uh, your providers for uh, supplemental services and when to uh, go it alone, if you may? Well, we have a lot of smart people at Texas Children's Hospital, but uh, we don't have all the smart people. And when you get into some very specialty areas, uh, you're going to have to bring in the experts. Uh, and you mentioned HP, which is our uh, primary platform for our newly expanded PeopleSoft uh, application. And we have the full suite of, of Oracle's PeopleSoft application supply chain, human capital management, and, and the full contingent of uh, the financial suite. So when we started, and that's critical to us, uh, obviously. When we started looking at high availability solutions across multiple data centers, uh, HP had a hardware solution and their own software solution, and uh, we found it didn't really meet our needs. And so we, we engaged uh, Semantic to help us master uh, clustering across remote sites, and, and we couldn't find anyone else who could do that, particularly with, uh, with our situation and given what we already had in place. The, the same situation arose with our EPIC implementation, which is a, a, a massive system that, that t almost everyone in the organization uses. We will, uh, at the end of 2010 or mid-2011, have probably 10,000 users on this system, and it's a system that can't be down. So as we started working through the hardware configuration with IBM and, and the ways we wanted to back up and the ways we wanted to do high availability, uh, we kind of got them to their max. We were certainly kind of scratching our heads, uh, but again, we were able to bring in Semantic, who was able to look uh, certainly they understood the hardware, they certainly understood our needs, and they were able to develop a solution that worked for all of us. IBM was happy with it, we were certainly happy with it, and Symantec was able to implement it and, and test it and show us all that it really worked. So in terms of post-implementation, what's your approach uh, with the business owners? Do you go back and... Uh, advertise the measured results or is all of that done before the project and you're on to the next uh, initiative that they have uh, put on your plate? 
Well, one of the things we've found is that the uh, business owners uh, forget about you very quickly when you go away to do things. So we try to keep the business owners involved in all these things. We just implemented uh, on our ambulatory medical record uh, a high availability solution, again, leveraging our semantic and IBM configuration. That solution will go away after several years uh, as Epic comes up and fills those gaps. But uh, when that system goes down in our clinics, that has been estimated at about a million dollars every half day. And over here recently with all the construction uh, on the campus, with all the construction in the medical center, uh, we had two instances uh, about two weeks apart where that system was, the primary server was taken out of commission or lost connectivity. Uh, we had about a three minute cutover, uh, all automated, uh, and so most of our users in both cases weren't even aware that there was any outage. Uh, few people had to reconnect. Most people just failed over to the secondary server. And we were very careful to make sure that everyone, uh, starting with the CFO, uh, but but even the physicians in the clinics, the practitioners who were giving care, who had records open, understood that for that investment, this is what they got. They lost no time in caring for a patient. And, and that's really uh, our trick. We try to keep them engaged in the testing of those systems. We try to keep them engaged through the go-lives. And we most importantly try to keep them, when they've made a major investment like that, try to go back when that situation, and you hope it doesn't happen, but when the situation comes up where you need a backup, where you need the high availability, we go back and explain. I don't know if you knew that your system went down. Uh, you probably didn't, but this is what we got for it. And uh, we always get good feedback and a good response, uh, and they appreciate that they made the investment. No, that's a great testimony around the importance of disaster recovery and high availability. Absolutely. And in healthcare, it's, uh, you know, every company stands to lose money, maybe some customers. But in our case, we really have, we, we have a sick kid at the end of each uh, computer. And so it's, it's a little different when we're down, or, or we like to think it's a little different. Absolutely. So in your environment, you have a uh, spate of workstations and laptops and, and so forth spread across a number of different users. Maintaining those must be a nightmare in terms of patches and uploading applications and making sure that they have uh, standard configurations, et cetera. How does your team uh, manage that hairball? Uh, <laughs> probably better than I think, but it's, it's the thing that kind of keeps me up at night. Uh, mobile computing has really become the thing that keeps me up at night, the, the data issues, the data leakage with, with laptops and USBs, uh, the fact that people are taking their wireless laptops uh, and when they jump on someone else's wireless, I, I'm not sure what they're doing. So we have, uh, you know, I'm looking at my machine right now and I'm, I've got the uh, semantic antivirus enterprise and I've got the... Uh, semantic client firewall, and uh, those are the things that help me sleep better uh, from the mobile computing. We do some uh, other things uh, with with uh, system protections and encryption of the data, but just knowing that the machine is protected 
from outside environments, from a network that we may not control, helps. In terms of managing and monitoring the desktop network, we've got about 7,500 desktops uh, right now. And using uh, the semantic suite for uh, Security Information Manager and, and the ESM tools gives us insight into what's out there. We've been able to to decrease the number of infected systems. When, when I started here and we started hardening, hardening the perimeter about five years ago, we, we were able to contain viruses on desktops, but we still had a pretty extensive uh, infection rate of, on individual machines. And over those few years, we've gotten the infected systems down by 93%. And I can ask my security guys generally how many machines are infected, and it's, it's a number they can count on one hand. Uh, we know where they are, and we know how we're going to remediate them. Uh, and we've probably dropped them off the network already. But uh, having the tools to, to look across the network and see where there are issues and correlate the infection with, uh, you know, a version of antivirus that may not have been updated because someone was, was traveling or didn't have their, their PC turned on at that time uh, has been a tremendous, uh, a tremendous help to us in terms of managing a very disparate network across a, a very large geographic area in Houston. And then you're moving in the direction of endpoint protection as well this year. You have a, a new initiative in place to uh, roll out Symantec endpoint protection. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you'll be doing there? Yeah, as we, as we hardened the perimeter and made the world safer at TCH, the demand for mobility uh, began to grow, as I mentioned. And, and that's the project, the most recent project we have started here, which is the endpoint security. And that kicked off here uh, at the beginning of this year, and, and it, is, it is focused on preventing data loss and data leakage. Uh, we're an academic medical center, so we have a lot of visiting faculty. We have a lot of researchers. And it's important that they be able to take that data when they need for presentations or for sharing with other researchers. But we still need to know who's taking it and when they're taking it and where they're getting it from to control not, not only the leakage but the integrity of that data. Uh, and the endpoint security is really giving us some insight into not only who's doing that but how the data flows throughout the organization, which is allowing us to put some processes and controls in place on who gets data from which systems and how they get it. And, and where it lives on the network once they've gotten it. Uh, and again, this is a case where we have smart guys, but we don't have a lot of people who've implemented uh, this, this technology. And it's real critical because you don't want to just turn things off for a doctor who's getting ready to go to Rome to make a presentation. So we've, in, we've engaged semantics consulting services and your residency services with our local team to implement that as well as upgrade some of the existing systems as we move towards antivirus version 11 and the semantic endpoint protection gets deployed throughout the organization. Well, and that brings up another interesting subject uh, in regard to endpoints and the 
the proliferation of endpoints in the marketplace, you're really on the leading edge in terms of integrating your biomedical services into your network. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing in that area? We really are. We were one of the first organizations in the United States to move biomedical engineering under information technology. Historically, it had lived with the facilities people, or sometimes it was a standalone unit uh, somewhere under operations. But more and more of the biomedical devices were moving to the network, A, and so we had to know what was going on, or biomedical people had to get trained on networking. Uh, so it made sense from that perspective. And the second thing that started to happen is historically standalone biomedical devices all of a sudden became computers with an operating system on it. So what, what was a device that had uh, only its intelligence on it all of a sudden had an operating system and it could connect to the network. Uh, and operating systems are wonderful, but they are the target of a lot of attacks and viruses and vectors for all kinds of nasty malware and things like that. So it became important as we began integrating things like smart pumps and ventilators and, and other biomedical devices into the network so they could feed an electronic medical record. It became very important that we could apply the same level of protection not only from a virus per perspective, but from a security and patient privacy perspective. So as Biomed moved into our world, we had that issue, and, and our biggest issue has been the migration to the wireless network. And frankly, I'm not sure either, either IT would have been happy or Biomed would have been happy if we did not come together before we deployed the wireless network here because uh, it has given us the, the best of both worlds. Our uh, biomedical engineers had RF expertise and training that allowed us to, to develop and deploy a wireless network that was able to get around issues like magnetic resonance imaging and electronic uh, magnetic, electromagnetic forces around biomedical devices at the patient bedside. So we have integrated in ways that uh, I'm not even sure we would have thought of here uh, two years ago and are moving now towards deploying the smart pumps on the wireless network and utilizing the network, uh, we're able to get, for instance, a positive patient ID on the device. So we can tie a device not only to a patient, but now we can tie the patient to the device and do cross-matching on the dosage, on the medicine, all the things you would normally expect a caregiver to do, we, we're able to automate that. So someone, and it happens occasionally, someone takes a device and tries to connect it to a different patient, we can prohibit that through network rules and, and the authorizations and the controls set up on that device, while at the same time using that device to feed uh, the correct information for the right patient into directly into their electronic medical record. Wow. Technology has changed just a little bit since uh, COBOL uh, program. <laughs> Indeed it has. <laughs> Wire, wireless back then was your, uh, your deck of punch cards. <laughs> 
So if we were to look at our crystal ball and you were projecting what key initiatives in IT, specifically in the healthcare vertical, will uh, hit in the next three, four, five years, what would a couple of those be? I think we will see more and more mobility. We will we will implement Epic and we'll we'll be able to support laptops and tablets and even some handhelds. Uh, but I think we're going to see doctors who want to use and access that electronic medical record on their smartphones, uh, which is a whole other layer of of uh, policies and procedures and controls around those smartphones. I think we will see patients getting more mobile. Uh, we'll be using cell phones to send in uh, glucometer readings and even heart readings uh, directly into the medical record. And again, uh, the availability of the information, the integrity of the information, and the security and privacy around that information now take on a whole new level of complexity. But the, the good news is the care will get better and the care will be uh, less intrusive and, and more remote, but uh, the easier it gets for our caregivers and our patients, the more complicated it gets for the technology people on the back end. Who knew that those uh, box cell phones from 15 years ago would evolve into <laughs> the wireless devices we have today? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, believe me, I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> so you have a very talented uh, IT staff and a number of folks that uh, could be future CIOs some someday. What would be uh, a couple suggestions that you would make to them or others in the marketplace that they would do in order to prepare themselves to be in a, a position like the one you have today? Well, one of the things I've been telling my staff for, for all the years I've been here is we are not in the technology industry. In fact, I tell them if they want to be in technology, they really ought to go to work for uh, Semantic or IBM or someone like that. We're in healthcare, and, and we have to align ourselves with healthcare. We use, we provide technology to healthcare workers in order to improve their lives and, and improve patient care and patient safety. But if we don't understand their needs, we will never be able to meet their needs. So I think alignment with the, with the business is a critical thing. One of the things I learned uh, as a consultant and way back as an auditor is, is demand for technology and technology resources uh, seems always to exceed supply. And so you have to have good governance and controls in place around technology. And that should be driven by the business. So we need to be presenting options, and, and we should be presenting options because we understand the business. But the business has to make the decisions. And, and then finally, uh, I think one of the lessons here as I moved into this position is over the years, IT had made a lot of uh, decisions regarding systems and technologies and that worked for a while, but as our end users and our customers and even our patients in the case of a hospital become more technically savvy and aware and knowledgeable, they need to be involved in making those decisions. They need to understand the, the technologies, the 
implications of, of choices and the ramifications of one decision over another. So uh, again, it's, it's partly alignment with the business, getting us to understand the business, but the other side of that is they have to understand technology to a little greater degree, and we have an educational role uh, in that sense to help them understand uh, what the options are and what they mean from a technology perspective. And, and last but not least, technology can always be risky, and we have to uh, always look at the risk involved in deploying a technology and implementing a technology, training users to use new technologies and new systems. And so you can come at it, we have to come at it from the business side, you have to come at it from the technology side, and over both of those elements is a risk perspective, and you have to look at what you're getting for what you're spending, and is it worth it? Not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of, of business risk as well. Well, you have convinced me that IT is a Broadway production, especially when you have 290 <laughs> folks working for you, all headed in different directions. <laughs> uh, it, it is like a, a bad dress rehearsal sometimes, I will have to agree. <laughs> but when the curtain goes up, no one knows there's a problem. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for joining us for uh, a Symantec uh, executive podcast spotlight interview. Uh, this has been a, a very enlightening conversation, and we wish you the very best in your current as well as your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for downloading and listening to another Executive Spotlight podcast brought to you by Symantec. For more information about Symantec products and services, visit the business section at www.symantec.com. And for more Executive Spotlight podcasts, visit go.symantec.com slash ESP.